Welcome to Weekly Dose with Dr. Uday, where all your questions for your primary care doctor are answered. Our goal is to help our listeners make their wellness a priority and live out long, enjoyable, and fulfilling lives. We are on. Welcome, welcome, guys. This week's episode of Weekly Dose with Dr. Uday. I have special guest Dr. Belazir here with us. She is giving dishing on quite a few topics. So the one we're talking about today is diverticulitis. And so definitely tune in if it's something that you've had before or something you're concerned about. So I'm going to start with introductions, and then we're going to go right into it. So for those that don't know me, my name is Dr. Uday. I'm a board-certified family medicine physician. Um, I'm based in Martinsburg, West Virginia, and I co-own a primary care practice, namely Apple Valley Family Medicine. Um, And I also provide aesthetic services to my patients, and my goal is to have my patients feeling great and looking great. So Dr. Belize, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and then we're going to get right into it. So welcome. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So yes, my name is Dr. Rita Belize. I'm a double board certified general and colorectal surgeon. I'm practicing in Houston, Texas, and I'm the owner of my own practice, Houston Community Surgical, where I provide general surgery and colorectal surgery services to the Houston area. All right, so she's going to be dishing all the things. So the one today, again, is diverticulitis. So Dr. Belazir, what is diverticulitis? Yeah, so I guess we can start by talking about diverticulosis uh, first, because that generally is what ends up leading to the diverticulitis. So diverticulosis is a, um, I guess, a disease process where there are weakened outpouchings of the large intestine. And so they look like little bubbles sitting on the like outside of the large intestine. And in the United States, it is most commonly found in the part of the colon called the sigmoid colon, which lays on the left side of the body. Um, So diverticulitis is essentially when these little outpouchings become inflamed and that can lead to a multitude of symptoms that and a spectrum of symptoms that leads patients to um, seek treatment. Okay. So then the next question is what causes um, diverticulitis? Um, Yeah. So the cause of diverticulosis, um, there are a couple of factors. Um, one is genetics. Um, people that have a family history of diverticulosis, um, you know, you're at higher risk of having diverticulosis. The other thing is a low fiber diet. Mm-hmm. Um, low fiber. So essentially, what happens? The sigmoid colon is considered a high pressure area. So mm-hmm. when we don't, um, you know, we live in a in a country that unfortunately has a high processed low fiber diet. So um, what ends up happening is, you know, you develop diverticulosis um, as a result of that, right? So um, that's really the cause of diverticulosis. The cause of diverticulitis um, is not truly known, but essentially what uh, the belief is, is that one of these little outpouchings gets blocked off mm-hmm. and then it becomes inflamed and then inflammation begets inflammation. So you get like a whole segment that of inflammation. Um, and these little outpouchings, because they're weakened, it's not the entire wall of the large intestine because they're weakened outpouchings. 
when they become inflamed, they get really vulnerable and they can burst and then cause um, other infection abscess nearby or sometimes an infection throughout the entire abdomen. So that's what the thought of uh, the cause is that these little outpouchings get obstructed either by like a little piece of stool, hard stool, or like a piece of food. Gotcha. So, and then some people are concerned about eating, you know, things with seeds in them and things like that. Is there any truth to that as far as, um, you know, eating um, fruits with seeds? Um, yeah, it's not really borne out in the data. Um, I've, you know, it's, I, I don't limit my patient's diets or I don't recommend necessarily limiting seeds. It really just is, I promote high fiber diets. So um, if you eat a peanut, you know, by the time it gets to your sigmoid colon, it looks the same as, you know, what they have. Like, you know what I mean? So right. <laughs> some seeds though are not, you know, digested. And so, but the, but I don't believe that seeds or popcorn, you know, they say, um, peanuts, things like that. I, those, that it's not really borne out in the data that that's a cause of diverticulitis. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. That's why I thought I would ask. Um, so, and you were kind of alluding to it. So what are the complications when someone has diverticulitis or what are the possibilities um, briefly for the, the patients and clients listening? Um, the complicated, okay. So, you know, diverticulitis can be like an entire spectrum of disease, right? So um, the episodes can be on a wide spectrum. <clears throat> there are some people that have a little sour stomach and it's not too bad. They're able to go on with their day and the inflammation gets better on its own, right? That's a very, very, very mild, uncomplicated case. Then there are some that drives mm -hmm. them to go see their primary care doctor. And maybe you get a CAT scan mm -hmm. or maybe uh, because of this, you know, the clinical symptom, you treat empirically for diverticulitis and it gets better with an outpatient course of oral antibiotics. Again, that's still considered a mild, uncomplicated uh, uh, course of diverticulitis. Then you start getting into, you know, the more um, severe form. So a patient that comes in to the emergency department because they're having pretty severe pain, you get a CAT scan and there's a lot of thickening um, of the large intestine. There's a lot of inflammation of the large intestine and you can see that on a CAT scan, but maybe no abscess, but they're not, they don't really have much of an appetite. So those people actually get admitted and they get IV intravenous antibiotics and a lot of those patients will get better. Then going further down, you have that same patient, let's say they come in, they've got severe pain, they get a CAT scan, and there's little abscesses nearby where the large intestine is. Mm -hmm. Those abscesses aren't big enough to, let's say, need a surgery or to need drainage, but they require, again, admission, IV antibiotics, what we call mm -hmm. bowel rest, meaning no eating or drinking until that pain really gets better. And then we get ones with bigger abscesses that require a radiologist to put a drain in it and suck that... Uh, uh, abscess fluid out. Sometimes those patients will get it better. And then, you know, <clears throat> lastly, you have a patient that comes in and they have a perforation of their colon or that, that mm -hmm. so inflamed it burst open and mm -hmm. there's infection freely flowing inside the abdomen. Those patients generally come in with a fever. They come mm -hmm. in with sepsis. They're, you know, their abdominal pain is so great that they're like, I don't care what you do. Just like take, get me out of my misery. Those patients mm -hmm. go to the operating room emergently to get that piece of their large intestine taken out and all the infection washed out of their abdomen. Um, so, you know, there's, there's sort of a spectrum of diseases. And, you know, what we tell people is 
when you have one episode, the likelihood of you having another episode, it'll probably be similar to your first episode. The thought used to be that you start with, you know, the easy peasy one, and then each one is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and so the recommendation previously was after one episode, that's your freebie after the second episode, no matter how severe you get surgery. And that's not really the case anymore. Um, you know, obviously we operate on people when it's emergent and they're otherwise not going to do well if you don't do surgery, but, um, you know, that, that, um, that thinking of you, you know, two strikes you're out, you get surgery is, is no longer necessarily the case. Gotcha. And just to backtrack formally for the patients that are listening, um, listeners, um, what, how is it formally diagnosed? So diverticulitis is formally diagnosed, generally speaking, on a CAT scan. So the, the textbook is a patient comes in with, you know, two to three days of worsening left lower quadrant pain. And now they're kind of having trouble keeping food down. Um, there's some nausea. And then, you know, even sometimes they're having trouble going to the bathroom because the inflammation causes so much thickening that sometimes it can narrow it enough that they're having trouble going to the bathroom. Those people always get blood work to see if there's infection. And then CAT scan is the gold standard for finding diverticulitis. It'll, it'll show it pretty easily, pretty immediately it's, um, on a CAT scan. So that's the way we diagnose it. Absolutely. And so, and then to, to take it a step further, so you kind of touched on it a little bit. So formally, what is the treatment for it? So, yeah, so the treatment is anywhere from just quote unquote bowel rest, meaning let's say like a liquid diet or, you know, not stressing the colon by putting food into your body. So that's the most uh, conservative measure. And those are for the really, really, really mild cases um, all the way to oral antibiotics, IV antibiotics, uh, potentially a drain to drain out an abscess, and then um, eventually surgery um, is the most aggressive form. And not all surgery for diverticulitis has to be emergency surgery. So you can have patients that come in and they've had one <clears throat> kind of mild episode, but it, it gave them a lot of pain, but it got better with oral or IV antibiotics. And then a year later, the same thing. And then suddenly it's every um, uh, four months, and then suddenly it's every month and they're like, I can't, like, I keep taking off of work and you know, it's not, it doesn't merit an emergency surgery, but it is lifestyle limiting. And in those cases, um, we talk to patients about, you know, the benefits of having a surgery um, to, you know, to get rid of it so that they're not spending every other month in the hospital. And then some patients, even after one bad episode, they're like, I don't ever want to go through that again. Let's say they had an abscess or whatever, and they just really want to take it out. You know, that's a conversation that we have with patients, like how bad are your symptoms? And if they are that bad, then we can do a surgery to remove it. Absolutely. And then I'm pretty sure this is something they'll also want to hear. What, how can they prevent this? What, what actionable tips do you um, give patients to prevent diverticulitis? Yeah. So, I mean, the best prevention is, you know, a high fiber diet, high fiber diet, make your colon happy. Um, that, that's truly essentially it. Once you have diverticulosis, there's always a possibility of diverticulitis, but not everybody that has diverticulosis will get diverticulitis, you know? So like the presence of them alone isn't a problem. It's just you know, when they get inflamed or they bleed, that's when it, that's when it becomes a problem. So high fiber diet, high fiber, 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 fiber. 
it, it's nice to hear somebody else say it. So yes. if I say what's wrong. And yes. so, you know, for my patients, I'm always saying, you know, you want to make sure that you're eating well, giving yourself good, you know, high fiber diet. So things can move through. The other one I tell them is drink lots of water yes. just to keep things moving through. So you yes. guys have heard it. So please, please, please keep your colon happy. Um, and then Dr. Belazier, if people are looking to find you, where can they find you? Yes. Um, so again, I'm in Houston, Texas. Uh, my practice is called Houston Community Surgical. Um, the website is www.houstoncommunitysurgical.com. Our um, contact information is on there. So you can give us a call or shoot us a text or email. We're happy to get you in. Hey. So everybody who heard it, definitely look her up if you have concerns about this um, or you need your questions answered or you need to be seen. On the flip side, if you're looking for a quality primary care physician, we are accepting new patients at Apple Valley Family Medicine. Our number is 304-350-1087. We're open seven days a week. And um, also you can find us online at www.applevalleyfamilymed.com. So you guys enjoy your week. Thank you for tuning in. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and include a review. Don't forget, you're worth it, and your health is our priority. Tune in for another episode next week, and have a great rest of your week.